Welcome to the Daily Stoic Podcast, where each weekday we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, a short passage of ancient wisdom designed to help you find strength and insight here in everyday life. And on Wednesdays, we talk to some of our fellow students of ancient philosophy, well-known and obscure, fascinating and powerful. With them, we discuss the strategies and habits that have helped them become who they are and also to find peace and wisdom in their actual lives. But first, we've got a quick message from one of our sponsors. Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time, only save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. That's dell.com slash deals. Every business is constantly asking themselves, what's a thing I can do to take my business to the next level? It's something I'm thinking about, of course, over at Daily Stoic and Daily Dad and the Painted Porch. And one of the tools I use for just that is LinkedIn Jobs, because LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. You might have just listened to the episode I put up where I was given a talk at LinkedIn back in 2017. So I've been using LinkedIn a long time because LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. And hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. It's so easy. In fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. We've hired multiple people here at Daily Stoic from LinkedIn. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash stoic. That's linkedin.com slash stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This is how you can talk to the dead. When Zeno was a young man, he visited the Oracle of Delphi to learn about his future. The prophecy he got was cryptic. His best life could have been had only through conversing with the dead. What does that mean? Zeno wasn't sure until he made a realization you may have made yourself. Reading is a way to communicate with the dead and the past. It's pretty incredible, actually. Although Marcus Aurelius is long since passed, you can have a conversation with him by picking up meditations. Seneca has been dead even longer, and yet you can get what amounts to a daily letter from him every day by reading letters of a Stoic. For roughly 5,000 years, humans have been writing things down in books. You can, at the snap of your fingers, talk to these people. You can literally have them talk to you in the form of an audiobook. Why would you not take advantage of that? Why would you be so antisocial? This, of course, is also a reason to journal and to write to yourself so that you can reach forward and talk to the generations that came after you. We are in this long, ongoing project, a dialogue together about how to learn, how to grow, what to do, what not to do, how to be wiser, smarter, and better. So don't be antisocial. Don't tune it out. Be like Zeno. Talk to the dead. Hey, it's Ryan. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Stoic Podcast. It's really important to me that Stoicism doesn't feel like this male thing. Like, tragically, uh, most of the Stoic figures in history were men because men dominated public life. But that doesn't mean 
for instance, that Stoicism is just for men, but it also it also doesn't mean that there weren't many, many, many Stoic women historically. I, I talk about Portia Cato in Lives of the Stoics, one of my favorite people to write about, and Musonius Rufus, one of the the great Roman Stoics, talks about how philosophy should be pursued by by men and women. But again, the the result the. the if it's not explicitly addressed, there is this sense that it's a very male, very masculine philosophy. It's been one of the joys of my books to see just how much they've resonated universally across gender, culture, uh, lifestyles, uh, careers, industries, etc. And uh, so one of the one of the best parts of the podcast has been talking to people with very different experiences than mine, different. Uh, lives and approaches than mine, and uh, definitely getting to talk to strong women. And you might have heard my interview a couple months ago with, or it could be weeks ago, I have no conception of time anymore, I don't know about you, but with Steffi Cohen, uh, one of the strongest women in the world. And my guest today, uh, Brooke Wells, is another incredibly strong woman, a seven- time CrossFit Games athlete. She made a name for herself at the 2015 Central Regional, which she won at 19 years old. She's competed in all sorts of CrossFit competitions. She's one of the best CrossFit athletes in the world. For instance, in 2021, she is currently ranked as the ninth uh, best CrossFit woman in the world, uh, fifth in North America in 2020. She was 11th. In 2019, she was sixth. 2018, she was sixth. Uh, 2017, she was ninth. Uh, she was uh, third in the U.S. at one point, fifth in the U.S. at another point, second in the U.S. at another point. The point is, she is on an incredible sustained run of excellence in an incredibly difficult sport. And uh, as you'll as we'll talk about in in the episode, a bit of a social media expert as well. She has 1.6 million Instagram followers. Uh, I follow her for inspiration, for sure. Uh, you can follow her at at Brooke Wells with two S's pretty much everywhere. That's B-R-O-O-K-E-W-E-L-L-S-S. Look, just an incredible athlete. And what I really was excited to talk to her about in this episode, which I hope you will enjoy, is the connection between uh, not just uh, Stoicism and women uh, and its universality, but really Stoicism and fitness, the connection to weightlifting and strength training, uh, which uh, as a runner is less my thing, but it is something I am working on and, and, and do enjoy from time to time. So here is my interview with the one and only Brooke Wells. Enjoy. When people think ancient philosophy, I don't think they think weightlifting. But when I read the Stoics, I can't shake uh, the I can't shake the impression that they knew too much about it to not be uh, at least uh, somewhat into training, right? So I'm gonna yeah. give you I'm gonna give you yeah, some yeah. quotes, and then you hit me back uh, what what they mean to you and what you think of them, okay? Okay. All right. So this is Epictetus. He says, uh, if you're improving, let's see some evidence of it. He says, but no, it's as if I were to say to an athlete, show me your shoulders. And he responded with, have a look at my weights. Get out of here with your weights. I'd say, I don't want to see your weights. I want to see how I've, I want to see how you've profited from using them. 
Yeah. So I kind of take that as like, it's not really about how much weight that you're lifting, but it's about like what it's doing to better yourself. So it's not always about, Oh, I'm lifting way more than the person next to you and comparing it to someone else. But as long as you're benefiting yourself and getting better, then that's all that matters. I think that's right. And I think he's also so saying that, uh, we should show and not tell. Right. So yep. like the, the, the proof is not, uh, mm-hmm. what you post on social media or yeah. the elaborate, you know, sort of regimen that you go through, but like at the end of the day, are you stronger? Are you in better shape? Are you more disciplined and all of that? Yes, totally agree with that. Um, and then in one of my other favorite quotes from Epictetus, he actually compares reading to weight training. Uh, he says that, uh, your, um, he says that books are the weight training for, he says that books are weight training for the mind. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna, that's when you said reading because comparable to weights, I was going to say weights kind of like train your body, but then reading trained your mind. So it just kind of like, like it comes together. How do you think about that? Cause I think that's how you and I uh, connected. You'd like posted a picture of one of the books or something. How do you think about getting better? Not just physically, but also mentally especially now, cause you're, you're still recovering, right. Or, or you had to take a break from training due to an injury, but I yeah, imagine, so. I imagine you didn't give up entirely. You, you had to find other ways to sort of expend that energy. Yeah. I almost feel like now that I'm hurt, I'm kind of like training my mind instead of my body, because I mean, my body is not really like fully functional right now. And that's a big part that I think a lot of athletes are missing is they, they can train their body as much as they want, but when it comes to like showing how fit you are, how like better you are than yesterday, it's like they don't train their mind enough in order to like be mentally tough. And so have you, have you always been a big reader or is this something you came to later? Like how how do you think about uh, getting better mentally? Um, I think over the years I have become a lot bigger into reading, but that's because when I started reading, I saw how much improvement I had in the gym, which is crazy to think that like, I'm not doing anything um, physical by reading, but I'm actually just growing my mind and I'm just like becoming a better person, um, like more mentally tough. And it shows in the gym, which like you probably wouldn't like normally think of. So I've, I've kind of become more of a reader over the years after noticing how big of a change that has made. What, what have been some books that, that hit, hit you particularly hard? Um, I think one of the first books that I read was can't hurt me. And so that one was like super intense. Um, just kind of like when I was in the gym struggling, like I'd remember that he would run like a hundred miles on like broken feet and stuff. And so super intense, but it just kind of helped me like, um, be more mentally tough. And then I read your obstacles away. That was a really good one. Um, let's see. Atomic Habits. I'm currently reading Slight Edge. Um, Ooh, what's that about? I haven't heard of that. So that one's just kind of like the little things will over time and we'll think you have like a slight edge and then they'll just kind of add up. So it has like a lot of just different um, examples. And so that one's pretty good too. That's what I feel like Atomic Habits is really about. It's like, what are yeah. the little things that cumulatively mm-hmm. add up in a big way? Yeah. I think that's huge on, I mean, not just being an athlete, but anyone in anyone just trying to be better every single day. It's like the little small things you like, don't notice. You won't notice for even like the first, maybe couple months. It's like, um, 
you just don't ever want to like just have immediate um, proof or just, it just takes time. I think that's what um, you have to learn. Well, it's like, we're always looking for this sort of big transformative things, but I think especially like for someone like you, you're at the top of your field. So like you've already done most of those things. And if you hadn't, you probably wouldn't be where you are, right? Like nobody, Michael Jordan doesn't wake up one day and and be like, oh, you know what I should do? I should add this to my game because it's probably already there. You wouldn't be the best in the world. But then, you know, I was reading about, um, I was reading this book, actually, do I have it here? I don't know where it went. I read this book about the New England Patriots and Tom Brady, and they were talking about how Tom Brady's secret addiction is not actually winning, but it's about getting doing things better. So for him, he's like, how do I get, how do I make this throw 5% more accurate in the fourth quarter? So, you know, he's not thinking about like, how do I just throw better generally? But he's like, how do I do these tiny things better that over the course of a season or over the course of five years of playing might win two more games or might win the Super Bowl because it comes down to that little thing. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting too. Um, I feel like a lot of athletes, um, these days, all that they want to do is like get as much work as they can possible. Like they want to accumulate more like, um, quantity over quality. And so they're just trying to like, I just need to check this box, move on, get to the next box. And that's something that I've learned is just like, it won't pay off in the long run. I think if you take more time and don't rush, if you do less, your quality over um, quantity is way more important than how much you're actually doing. And that's that that would be particularly true, I imagine, in your profession, which is like, yeah. you know, like so comedians or authors, we talk about reps, right? Like how how often you do the thing that's how you get better. But you are literally doing reps. Like that is what your thing is. And so yeah, uh doing doing in training at least, doing fewer reps better is probably overall better for your long-term sustainability than doing just like just gutting out tons of stuff because that's how you get hurt. Right. Exactly. I mean, obviously like the more hours and the more times you do something over and over again, like that's going to pay off as well. But I think just making sure that like you're actually giving everything that you have into each single rep instead of just trying to get as many done as possible, as fast as possible. Well, and because you are doing the same thing over and over and over again, which is unusual, right, for for most professions, but in your specific case, since you're doing the same thing in reps, if you find a way to do the rep 1% better, you improve your technique 1%, then you get massive cumulative benefits from that because each time you're doing it more efficiently or effectively. Yeah. And in the moment, like 1% may not seem like very much, but like, uh, once you're at like the top of the sport, like that 1% really matters. And then once that continually just adds over time, like it's going to pay off in the long run. So the other thing the Stoics talked about, and they tended to use boxing more as the, uh, the analogy, but I think they also use like lifting heavy things, which is this idea that, um, life throws obstacles or difficulties at us, just like in the boxing ring or on the wrestling mat, uh, you're, you're paired with a sparring partner, right? And Epictetus says like, you shouldn't bemoan the fact that it's hard. You should say, this is how you become world-class. Or he says, this is how you become Olympic class material. It's by having strong sparring partners. So how, how do you think about maybe this injury that you're going through or just the difficulties you've gone through as your career? Have, has that made you a more resilient athlete or 
do you not think about it like that? Oh, no, I totally think so. It's kind of one of those things that like, you're not going to get better by doing things that are easy. Like I want to take the hard way. That's when you really build that character. That's when you become resilient is going through tough times. I mean, I dislocated my elbow on the world stage. And like a lot of people may think like, it would be really easy for me to just, I've done seven times at the games. Like that's good. But instead I'm like, I'm so excited to get back there because I know that I'm going to be better than I ever was because I, my mindset is just so like fueled in the way that I want to be better than I was before. This is a perfect time to like fix any other nagging injuries that I've had in the past and just kind of taking those hard circumstances and flipping them into a positive to where I'm going to use this to make me the best athlete that I've ever been. So did let, let's, let's break all that down. So was there a part of you when you had that injury that like at given what you've done, was there a part of you that thought like, this could be, this is an acceptable career ending injury. Like you're like, I could call it here or does no part of you think that way? No, honestly, like that, I feel like a lot of people probably think that, but there was not one second in my mind that I was like, I'm done. It was more like, I mean, they literally popped my elbow in like in the back of the games. And I was like, okay, I'm good. Like, am I going to be okay to compete tomorrow? I'm just the type that like, I'm never going to be finished until I'm like satisfied. And I would never want to go out on a note like that. But so I, I interviewed Ryan Shazier, who who also read uh, my books. He he had this career-ending tackle uh, for mm-hmm. the Steelers. Not just a career-ending tackle; he was he was paralyzed by it. Yeah. So so, do you think you could accept a career-ending injury, or would it would it like break you? Um, that's kind of one of those things. Like this is fixable. I can like just let it heal. But if it was a career-ending thing like that, obviously, like there's nothing you can do about it at that point. It just kind of is what it is. And I think you would just have to accept it. Although it would be like extremely difficult. I would probably just, I mean, there's nothing you can really do about it. No, that would be the challenge, right? Having to now face what life looks like without the thing that's given you so much meaning and structure and satisfaction. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hope that I don't get like, I hope I don't have that situation. But in something like that, I think you just kind of have to like, I think it's important to have balance in your life for things like that. So when your like most important thing to you crumbles in front of you, you have something else to kind of fall back on. So did the time you've had to spend away from the sport and from training, has it made you appreciate it more? Like, has there been some benefits in that regard? Yeah. I mean, I kind of think you always think like the grass is greener on the other side. Like when I'm training for the games, there's like nothing I want more than just like a little bit of rest. I feel exhausted. I'm like, I can't wait until the games are over with so that I can just relax. And then the minute the games were over with this year and I was forced into a complete off season because I physically couldn't do stuff. That's when I was like, wow, I totally took for granted when I was able to do um, all the training that I could. And it's just kind of one of those things that you need to remember in the moment when things get tough is that like, I don't have to be doing this training. I get to do this training. Right. Yeah. And, and when you come back, do you, are there going to be lingering effects from it? Like, are you having to rethink how you do what you do, or are you going to be back a hundred percent as you were, or is it to avoid doing this again? You've learned something or you're cha- you're making some sort of changes. 
Um, I think kind of both. I think like, it's going to definitely take a while to get back to where I was just because like, I mean, I'm trying to not like be scared of the certain movements that like cause this, but in the back of my head, I'm always like, I don't want this to happen again, but right. um, it's just, it's going to take some time to kind of like relearn the patterns again and just strengthen that arm back up. But yeah, that would be so weird, right? It, it had such a, to not be sort of reticent or hesitant in doing a thing where there's really no room for hesitation. Right. And yet if you don't learn from what happened, you're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I'm taking away from what had happened was I just like, I pushed it too much before, um, the games. Like I knew that there was an injury in my arm and I just continually practiced on it. I mean, as probably most people would just be, if you're in like the top of the sport, but, um, yeah, I mean, well, I talk to athletes about that all the time. I'm so fascinated by it. Cause obviously my, what I do is a little bit lower impact, but I think all high performers have that tendency, which is you push, you wouldn't be where you were if you didn't push past pain or doubts or, you know, warnings. And yet this can also cost you everything if you can't keep that impulse in check. Yeah, I definitely, there's like a fine line right there because in training, you want to be pushing every single day in order to become better. And like, when I'm training and I'm like, I probably shouldn't be doing this because I'm a little bit injured in the back of my head. I'm like, okay, well, my other competitors are doing it. Like my other competitors are better right now. And so it's just a fine line of using kind of that in your benefit. Like maybe when I'm in a really tough workout, I'm in a bad spot and it's hurting really bad to be like, okay, like Tia wouldn't stop right now. Like that's when I need to use it, but I need to kind of back up when something's hurting and just kind of be like, okay, well, if I continue to do this, like I'm not going to be even able to compete. Get your Easter shopping done without leaving the house with DoorDash. When the holidays come around and family comes to town, things can get forgotten. But with DoorDash, you can order your Easter baskets, chocolate bunnies, brunch, must-haves, and so much more all in one place delivered right to your door. Actually, last Easter, I was in Annapolis. I was giving a talk and we realized we didn't have some of the Easter supplies we needed for the hotel room we were in to give our kids a little on-the-road Easter experience. And that's what we did. We DoorDashed everything we needed for Easter just like a couple weeks ago when I hurt my ankle, I door dashed an ankle brace and some medicine. You can get anything you need on DoorDash with so many local and national stores to choose from. You can take it easy this Easter knowing you can get everything you need. Whether you're looking for plastic eggs for your Easter egg hunt or needing an ingredient for a side dish, DoorDash can help. Order now and get everything you need for Easter on DoorDash. Use code DAILYSTOIC to get 50% off up to $10. When you spend 15 bucks on your next convenience, grocery, or retail order on DoorDash, that's code daily stoic order using DoorDash today for eligible users only terms apply. Look, when I was first thinking of going to therapy, it was a little overwhelming, right? What's covered by insurance? How far do I have to drive? When do they have appointments? I mean, when I first started going to therapy, the idea of online therapy, virtual therapy, it wasn't even an option. And now things are so much easier, so much better. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, be a guiding light. 
And Talkspace, specifically today's sponsor, can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties. And with Talkspace, you can easily find a therapist that you like. You can schedule virtual appointments and make the most of your time, which even as you're taking care of yourself, you always should try to do. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get 80 bucks off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash stoic. To match with a licensed therapist, go to Talkspace.com slash stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month. Show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Stoic. Right. Yeah. And and I imagine the paradox in what you do is like, if there wasn't resistance, if there wasn't pain, you right. wouldn't be getting stronger. Mm-hmm. And that because that's the definition of what weight training is. And yet, if there's too much pain, you won't be able to do it anymore ever. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like a line that you're always like playing with trying to find the right spot. And um, yeah, definitely push that a little bit too hard. All right. So here's Seneca. Uh, Seneca has a weird relationship with exercise, but I feel like he might actually be describing CrossFit here. Um, He says, now there are short and simple exercises which tire the body rapidly. And so to save our time, the time is something we should, and time is something we should keep to strict account. So these exercises are running, brandishing weights and jumping, high jumping and broad jumping. Then he lists a bunch of other weird things, which we don't able to translate, but he says, uh, select for practice, any of these, uh, but whatever you do come back soon from the body to the mind. I think his point is that, um, you should, because, uh, training or, or it shouldn't dominate too much of our time. The Stoics are always worried that, uh, our physical pursuits would uh, impede on our time to study philosophy. But he was basically saying like, what is the most effective exercise you can do? What has the highest ROI? Just do that and ignore all the fluffy vanity stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, CrossFit is like high intensity work. And when he was describing that, that's kind of what it sounded like was just these movements that will jack your heart rate up extremely, or like in a short amount of time. And so um, that's like basically what CrossFit is. Um, I would say for like, the average person, the average person that's doing CrossFit, they just go in for an hour, they get their heart rate up. Um, and like, I mean, that's great. Like you probably, you shouldn't spend too much time on it if you don't have to. Right. But, uh, I also think another cool thing just about CrossFit is like for our sport and like competing for it, we actually like train for the unknowable. So we go to the um, competition and we don't know anything that we're going to, we don't know our workouts. We don't know our events, nothing. So it's just kind of like, I mean, oh, at the games, you mean it's a surprise. Yeah. yeah. So when we get to the games, we don't know any workouts. Like, um, every single year they kind of like throw a new movement at us. So it's kind of like, we are constantly training to be able to do anything that they could throw at us. So that is a perfect stoic thing. So Epictetus says that the whole point of philosophy is to get to a place where something happens and you're able to go this is exactly what I trained for. Like, this is what I prepared for, even though I had no idea this would happen. So how do you think about that? Like, how can you train for what is effectively an unlimited amount of uh, combinations or possibilities? Um, How do you do that without neglecting getting really good at core things? Yeah, so I I mean, obviously in training, we do a lot of like the physical stuff. It's like, we basically do everything that we could ever imagine that will come up. But I think 
the big thing is being able to handle the adversity. Like we don't know what's going to be thrown at us. And a lot of that can be like a mental head case when you get to the games and you see something that you've never done before. And you're like, Oh crap. Like, how am I going to do this? But instead, like if you're very mentally tough and just prepared, you just look at it and you're like, okay, well I'm fit. Like I'll be able to do this. I will just do it to the best that I can. You have to kind of remember like, um, no one, none of the other athletes have done this before either. So even though I might be feeling a little timid towards it, like I'm not the only one. And it's just kind of, it's, it's honestly more of a mental game, not knowing what's coming than it is physical. Do you find that like you can feel when like they all, you all come up on the thing. Can you just feel the energy of the people who are like befuddled or frustrated or thrown off by something? I mean, reading body language is huge. Also, like, there's a lot of people that are just, I guess they just don't understand the mental side of it. And they will be complaining in the back before we go out, you know, like, it's just you can pick up on these little things that you're just kind of like, okay, well, they're out, like, already got I already beat them before they it even started, because they're just so all over the place mentally. Yeah, I would imagine the most dangerous thing you could you could think before, uh, a situation like that would be, I hope they don't have X Yeah, because that's exactly what they're going to have. And then you'll be yeah. deflated when that's there. Yeah. I mean, just like a little side story, um, in the 2019 games, they started doing these cuts and it was the final cut. I'd been in the top 10 the whole time and they were cutting down to the final 10. And, um, all I needed to do was not step on this line. So if you stepped on a line, it was a sprint. You stepped on the line, you were disqualified. I was like, okay, all I have to do to get through this and get to the top 10 is not step on this. And what do I do? I stepped on the line because it's all that I was thinking. It's in your mind. Yes. And so moving forward from that, at the time, it was like the end of the world. But um, I was just, I learned, like I was focusing way too much on what I was not supposed to be doing. Right. And, and, and so how do you, like, what's your, what's your mindset going into an event that has so many unknowns? Like what you're just like, I accept all of it. I'm open to all of it. Or do you think like, I, I know there's going to be these core things. I'm just going to crush it in those things and I'll wing it on the rest. Like what do you take into that uncertainty? Uh, I mean, I definitely have my strengths, obviously. So I'm always trying to like um, do the best that I can on those. But then the things that I like, um, am not prepared for, or, like don't know that are coming. I just kind of like take off the expectation. I like release the pressure. I try to go into it, like not already like putting a ton of pressure on myself to do awesome. It's just kind of one of those things that's like, if you're good at it, then you're good at it. And if you're not, then you're not, let's just like do this and continue on just kind of like, I try not to put emotions into it. Like, I don't want to be like nervous or sad when it doesn't go well. It's like, let's just do it and then move on. Yeah, the Stokes talk about just having no opinion. Like yeah. you, know, you always have the ability to just not have an opinion. So yeah. that's what you're, you're just like, and, and it's funny when the Stokes talk about being indifferent, they don't mean you don't care. They just mm-hmm. mean like you're good either way. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm, like, I'm not going to waste my energy on these emotions. I'm just going to like do what, the task at hand of the best that I can and not overthink it. Yeah. To go back to Tom Brady, it's like when you play in new England, you don't give a shit about the weather anymore because like it can't possibly be as bad as the worst weather that you've experienced. So like 
Whereas if you play in, uh, I don't know, LA now, uh, you're so spoiled yeah. uh, that then when you, when you have to go play in Kansas city in the winter or Buffalo in the winter or New York in the winter, you have an opinion, right? You would prefer mm-hmm. that it not be snowy and rainy and cold. Whereas the quarterback who's, and I think sometimes Tom Brady will do this. This is more when he was in New England, but you'll see that the, the, the quarterbacks like go out in a short sleeve shirt, like in warm up in warmups, just to send the message that like, yes. I don't care I about the that. weather. Yeah, no, totally. I think that kind of comes like that happens with training too. Like we always want to train in like our worst conditions, because if we're training when things are going really bad or we're really tired, like all the worst things that could happen are happening to us. Then once we get to the competition, hopefully it will essentially be more like easier than it was in training. And so we'll just excel there. Right. Yeah. You're training, you're training, uh, with the headwind or you're, you're training right. with the weights. So then when the weight is removed, you're, uh, which it hopefully is you're good, yeah. but, mm-hmm. uh, you're used to it doing it under worse circumstances. Exactly. So one of the other early, uh, stoic Olympic events or an Olympic event that a stoic participated in, I'm forgetting exactly how you pronounce it, but Chrysippus was a, was a distance runner. And so I assumed like, okay, so he runs three miles, five miles, you know, some, or maybe the marathon, but I was reading, he does, he, he competed in this special kind of event and it was, it was basically three miles of wind sprints. So you ran three miles of stadium length sprint. So back and forth, back and forth, you know, you touch the line, come back, you touch the line. And I was just thinking about like, you know, running three miles, that's hard in competition on its own. Yeah. But I could just imagine where your lungs would get doing short distance sprints for an extended distance. Yeah. And I figured you would relate to that experience because that's what CrossFit is, right? CrossFit never says like, go run five miles. CrossFit always has you do it in some insanely short distance burst that gets you to like your anaerobic thresholds and then slow. You know what I mean? I, I just thought you would, you would appreciate that as a, as a, as a, as an event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. I feel like those are kind of the type of things that we do in CrossFit is just like kind of events. If you can make the events worse then like they will. And they'll throw that <laughs> up. just go three miles, like one distance will just make it harder. That is kind of like what we do in CrossFit. And, um, that's just something they always have to prepare for. Right. They would never have you run three miles. They would have you run three miles in 100 yard sprints with a 10 second rest between <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do when you get to that point where your body says like, this is literally like, this is not possible. You cannot keep doing this. And then you look at the scoreboard and you have like a mile and a half left to go or 25 reps left to go or 75 yards left in this farmer's carry. Like, how do you push past that? So that's actually, I used to have this like mantra and it's like, this is when it counts. So it's kind of that, um, mindset that like the beginning of this workout doesn't matter. Like the first let's say you have a 10 minute workout, the first five minutes, they don't really count. They aren't, they aren't hard for anyone. They're like the easy minutes. It's all about when things get hard, like, are you going to be able to push? So that's kind of like what I've always thought to myself is like, this is when it counts. This is what you train for. Um, 
And so I try to put myself in those positions like in practice so that when it comes to the big stage that I'm prepared for um, how tough it gets. So do you, do you have to sort of, and David Goggins does talk about this, is sort of the idea that like your body's a liar, right? Like when your body says you're yeah. done, you're like 40% done. Yeah, totally. I, I think it's just completely a mind game. Um, I don't know the exact saying, but it's always like your mind is going to give up before your body does. So I off, I often tell myself that during workouts. So like, this is just my mind talking. It's not my body. So it's always like, what are you going to listen to in your head? Are you going to listen to the voice that's telling you to stop? Or are you going to listen to the voice that's like cheering you on and like pushing you towards the finish? So I rem I, I remember seeing your post when you got hurt, you said something like this was God's plan. I'm just curious as someone who's not particularly religious, how do you know when it's God's plan and when it just is something that sucks? Yeah. I mean, I just think I'm very religious. So I think that God has a plan for everything. And so if he's telling me that like, I, this is what's going to happen and this is what's going to happen, I'm going to try to use this to, um, just like better myself, like coming like in the future, you know, it was just kind of like, um, this wasn't my time to shine in his eyes. So let's just um, call it a year and then try again next year. But I mean, obviously you think that like, uh, there's also mistakes that we make, right? So what if the injury had been your fault? Is that still part of the plan? I guess I'm just wondering, how do you think about like, sort of where responsibility and sort of providence, like where is that line? Yeah, I mean... I'm not exactly sure like where that line is. It was just kind of like the way things that happened, like it's not like um, something's minor happened and it caught me out. Like I completely, my elbow was in my bicep. Like it was like, there's nothing I could do about it, you know? So that's kind right. of when it's like, okay, well, this is bigger than me at this point. And so I'm just going to hand it over to him and, and like call it. And, and I mean, that is something the Stokes talk about. They have this word ascent, uh, not like ascent up a mountain, but A-S-S-E-N-T, which basically is acceptance, but not like resignation. It's acceptance like, yes, this is the plan. Something or someone or fate yeah. or whatever it is chose that for me. Like the Stoic image is that um, we're like dogs tied to a cart. And the cart is just sort of going along and the dog can like lay down and be dragged or the dog can sort of cheerfully trot alongside. But either way, like the dog is going where the cart is going. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of maybe that's how you you think about it. I'd be curious yeah. to hear. But it's the idea that's like I can accept it or I can fight it, but it still happens. So it is what it yeah. is. I mean, I think everything happens for a reason. That's how I kind of just view things. And um so it was just kind of one of those moments and just moving on. The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening, but depending on what you're doing right now, like for instance, if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing. You could be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're 
you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. These tools would have been super helpful to me when I was growing The Daily Stoke, when I was writing my first book, and in fact, have been right? The Daily Soak is built around email marketing. That may well be how you heard of this very podcast. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Have you read, uh, do you know who Kate Bowler is? No. Oh, you would love her. I, I had her on the podcast, but she, um, she's uh, uh, a Christian. She had um, uh, this aggressive form of cancer. Um, and uh, she was talking about how many nice, nice people would come to her and say, everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, she would say, well, I'd really like to hear what the reason is, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so her book is called Everything uh, happens for a reason. And the subtitle is something like, uh, like things you should never say to people with cancer or whatever, but, but yeah. it is, it is funny, right? Because like, yeah. um, we, we say it's, it's easy to say everything happens to a reason, even with something as hard as, uh, an injury that could take away your career. And then we also accept there's sort of a level of shittiness above that, that it's, yeah, it's sure. really hard to accept. Yeah, I think also, like, I always try to put, like, a positive spin on things that happen. Um, there's no sense of wasting time, like, being upset and, like, um, that's just time wasted and, and, like, the energy wasted being sad instead of, like, trying to make things better, you know? So I just try to look at it like that, um, not waste time on the negative and just try to turn it into a positive. So, um What's interesting about your sport is how I think intertwined it is with social media, right? There's probably professional athletes who are on, you know, national television on a regular basis who have fewer Instagram followers than you do, right? It's such an engaged sport, yeah. I think, because it's new and it sort of came along with these things. And that was like the, because CrossFit wasn't on television for a while, yeah. that's where they built. I'm curious, like, how do you deal with the spotlight and the attention? I've got to imagine a good chunk of it as a uh, female athlete. A lot of the attention is the kind of attention that one does not want. Yeah. So um, I think it's always just important to like focus on like what matters to you. And to me, that's just being the best athlete that I can. And the social media just kind of comes along with that. Um, I love social media because like just the CrossFit community side of it, I think that's why it has like, all CrossFit athletes have like a pretty big following is because 
CrossFit is so like tight knit with the community and CrossFit's like one of those sports that everyone can do it, you know, like it's very scalable, but they can watch it and do it too. So, um, yeah, I think just kind of like focusing on like becoming the best athlete that you can be instead of like trying to get the freaking Instagram angles and like the things that, um, people like essentially follow. Cause there's a huge, we did like a noble did a, um, campaign on it a couple years back and it was not just an influencer basically saying like, yes, we do have a lot of following, but it's not because we're influencers. It's because we are athletes and like, we work very hard for that. Right. My wife uh, follows his account and she shows it to me sometimes. And basically that it's like screenshots, uh, it's sort of like comments from celebrities, but it's like screenshots of men mansplaining how to lift weights uh to professional like female athletes and it's like the funniest thing that i've ever seen (laughs) because it's like everyone it's like opinions are like assholes everyone has them but they think uh they should definitely share them with women yeah i think it's like i mean stereotypically like guys are the ones that lift but i think it's becoming more and more common that like girls are all um also into lifting and like strong is becoming more like less rare. So, um, I think that that's really cool. And like, I just want to use my social, um, my social media, just be like a good influence on like other girls and especially like young girls to show them that like, it's not just for boys. Well, I think because the sport is new, um, it doesn't have like a hundred years of sex segregation built into it or 150 years of stereotypes. It's like, everyone kind of was able to get in on the ground floor of the sport. So I almost feel like a bunch of the female CrossFit stars are more famous than the male counters, male counterparts, um, kind of like women's soccer actually in America. Yeah. I think it's probably just because it's like not as usual to see girls, um, like that fit. And I think that's very, like one of the cool parts about it, like CrossFit's always been like everyone gets paid the same at the games and like things like that that just make it very like unisex, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's really cool because then you then you actually see what is possible, not just what's possible within like what what would what would the uh the the women's uh uh um uh basketball tournament look like if they got to play in the same venues yeah the, like you know you saw that photo yeah. a couple of years ago where they're like this is the women's college uh weight room and it was yes, like 10 dumbbells yeah and so i yeah and I, I hate that thing like sports are like that um male versus female and so i think that's another reason why like girls are so big into crossfit and and do it in the games is it still actually segregated by sex in the competition or is it like a free-for-all yes it's still like segregated guys against guys girls against girls right yeah it is it is crazy uh how how we, we um we we like it doesn't i mean it doesn't really matter right performance should be performance and yet we yeah. like try to sort of put it in these strange categories yeah for sure. But when it comes to like weightlifting, like it's just a little bit different because guys are a lot stronger, you know, but um, it is still fun. Like one of my training partners, I train with a male every single day. And it's just like, I mean, it's super fun to be competitive because we're still going after the same thing. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because uh, I know Ben a little bit and I yeah. saw you, you switched coaches um, and I, I, I read your post about it. I'm I'm not so much interested in like 
yeah. why you switched or, or what your new coach is, but how do you, like, I imagine that must've been an agonizingly difficult decision. Yeah. And like, how did you make a decision like that? Because it's the same when Tiger Woods decides to switch his caddy or his swing coach, or, uh, when, when somebody decides to switch teams, like these yeah. are really difficult decisions that yeah. they're extremely risky in the sense that like sure. it is it's working or you wouldn't be where you are. How do yeah. you make the decision uh-huh. to go towards the unknown new thing that might have more upside versus sticking with what's comfortable and yeah, exactly. working? That's what I was going to say is that it's extremely difficult because it's such a big change. Like we are so comfortable with what we have. Um, I knew that like changing coaches, it would like, it would be completely different. He is going to have a different way of doing everything. I'm so used to the way that Ben had done it. And like, I mean, I was a good athlete. Um, but when the opportunity was presented to me to train with the number one athlete who has won the games the past five years and essentially be coached by her husband, who was her coach. It's like, I really had to sit back and think like, is this going to be what's best for me? And so even though things are going to be hard and I mean, it was very challenging to kind of like trust a new coach when I was so ground in the way that I did things before. Um, but I, I almost just like went with my gut. I knew that it was the best thing for me. And so. Is it, is it kind of invigorating though, to like have to figure out a new way to do it? Like to not be, I mean, I imagine there's something comforting about being in the groove. This is the way I've done it my whole career. This is how Ben and I set it up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then being, having to wrestle kind of with the lack of control and lack of familiarity with like envisioning a new way of doing it or having to follow somebody else's system. Yeah. I mean, it was extremely scary just like jumping from one program to another program, but I was just so confident in my new coach, um, that I really, I didn't worry too much about whether like say I was doing something different. I wasn't too worried about that because I just knew that I was in really good hands, but it keeps it interesting. Right. It's sort of what I'm saying. It's like, uh, there's, it's, it's nice when some of that stuff recedes in the background, but it's also like when you move to a new place, yeah. you're suddenly your eyes and your senses are operating at a heightened capacity. Cause you're not just like used to tuning everything around you out. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just that like change is hard. Like it's very change is scary. And so going about a different way of doing things was definitely something that like didn't sit well with me for a while, but you just kind of like continually like start trusting more and more into like the new change that you have. And then, I mean, most of the time it's probably for the best. Did you think about what the downsides of it could be? I think that's what, what keeps a lot of people from making changes that are like, what if I, what if I make a mistake? What if uh, people criticize me? What if we don't get along? Like how, how did you think through the downsides to then still have the sort of courage to make the jump? Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be like downsides that like creep into your head the whole time. Like, I mean, it was just, it was constantly like fighting with myself. Like, is this a good decision for me? Um, like what if I don't get better? What if this is the next thing doesn't work well for me? Um, I, I think you just kind of have to measure the pros and cons. And I mean, if the, if the pro side is way bigger then like, you're just going to have to like, um, feel out like if it makes the cons worth it, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I think about is like, is, is the change the hard thing or the easy thing? Right. So it's like, um, if, 
Like I remember when I, when I was actually just selling this series of books that I did, I was, I, I was thinking about maybe shopping it around to different publishers. I've done all my books with the same publisher and I kept sort of trying to go back and forth. It's like, am I, am I trying, am I thinking about leaving because I think it will be easier to do it this other way? Or am I thinking about staying because it would be easier? And I wanted to go towards like the harder thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. No, I totally agree with that. Like, I think any change is going to be like harder at first because it's different. I mean, I think I'm just kind of like beating a dead cow here, but, um, I think, yeah, change is just scary. Well, cause like sometimes an athlete will say like, leave one team because they're like, this coach is hard on me. And if I go over here, I'll get yeah. what I want. Right. Like, it's like, I guess that's the question is like, is one switching because the, they don't like how the person is holding them accountable. You know, they're tired of like they're tired of being pushed in a certain way. Like, is it because one is becoming more entitled as an athlete or as a performer, or is it because one is refusing to be satisfied as a performer, as an athlete? And that's like the critical distinction. Yeah. And I think ultimately, like, um, I mean, I had my, I, I knew that I wanted to be with Shane from like, it's just something that I've always dreamed of doing because he's incredible coach. But um, another aspect is just like having them, I knew that I was going to have Shane in person every day. So when I was with Ben, it was like, he was in Boston, I was in Nashville. So it was just kind of like, it worked, but like, could it be better? Yes. So having someone to keep me accountable every single day, like watching me, being hard on me, making sure that I'm doing everything to the best of my ability is like, I'm always going to choose that option. Yeah, well, it's an investment in sort of, uh, getting even more serious about what you do yeah. uh, and being more hands-on about what you do, yeah. I imagine. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's also the aspect that like, I'm now training with Tia, who is a five-time champ. And it's like, a lot of people would probably be scared to train with her because they're going to be, get beat every single day. But I think that if you're not, if someone is not better than you in the room, then you need to change rooms because I always want to be pushed to like the best that I can. And that's the only way to get better. So are you guys both training under a coach and then competing with each other? Is that weird? Yeah. So I think that was an, one of the hesitations when we first started was that, um, I mean, obviously like not only is, um, Shane Tia's coach, but they're married. So <laughs> right. they kind of were like, we don't want you to ever feel like you're the second best. And I have never felt like that. We got, um, that doesn't like, seem to me like a feeling you have very often. <laughs> Honestly, no, but, um, I mean, they even like set me up with like an additional coach to make sure that like when it comes time for a competition, like Shane's going to be with Tia, I have my other guy, Nick. And so um, just kind of like figuring out what works for you is important. And then um, I saw you got a dog recently. How's that changed? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's awesome. I literally picked him up yesterday. It's been super fun. I've been wanting a dog for a really long time, but it's just kind of one of those things that like I wasn't really ready for the responsibility Um, not that it's going to be like that much of a responsibility, but, um, I'm just so career focused and driven. I'm like, is this dog going to take like 1% away from my training? You know? Right. So it's, I got it at a good time to where, um, I mean, it's November. I don't start competing until about March. So have a few months to get him trained and like, hopefully bring him to the gym and stuff.
but maybe it will take your focus off of training, but in a slightly positive way. So like you can leave the gym and go home and not be still at the gym. Yeah, no, totally agree with that too. That's another like reason I was so excited to get him is just like, I mean, when I'm not at the gym, I don't want to think about training and stuff. I've always been that type. Like I'm not even very good at like typing my results at night from like the day because when I'm at the gym, I'm at the gym. When I'm at home, I'm at home. So it's like, um, it's going to be great to just kind of focus my energy somewhere else. Yeah. It's like uh balance is very hard yes. when what you do is inherently unbalanced. Yeah. Like I've always heard this saying, like, if you want to be the best, then you're not going to have balance, Yeah, which I think it's like, it's, it is kind of true, but I also think that like, if you're constantly stressing over training and not having any sort of balance where you can just go like shut off. That's also going to mess with you mentally. Yeah. I mean, I found that with having kids, like I think the fear as a writer is that you have kids and now your work is not your only focus or your only obsession. And that's true, but it's, it may well be a positive because your obsession was uh, probably not fully healthy and also not um, not, not, uh, actually as productive as you thought it was like when you're obsessing about it all the time and you're whipping yourself about it and it's all that you live and breathe, like by definition, you're going to take all of it way too seriously and it's going to suck some of the fun and joy and also, uh, success out of it because it's, it's just, it just looms too large in your life. Yeah. I mean, I think that can be with like anything in life, but with CrossFit, we're training like eight hours a day. So if I'm like training eight hours a day and then constantly thinking about it, I'm going to burn out really quickly. And another longevity is very important in any career or like whatever you're doing in your life. It's just like, you don't want to only be able to do it for a short amount of time. So I think just having like balance to, um, even you out a little bit is very important. Yeah. I had Bob Bowman on the podcast, who is Michael Phelps swim coach. And you just, you, I mean, he's, he's obviously one of the most successful swimmers of all time, but he has this middle period where he just comes to hate swimming because he's not like taking care of himself. And it's also a grind of a sport, um, that just, you know, you're just staring at this line underwater for hours and hours on end. It's horrible. Um, like without, without something else, that keeps you going or gives you joy. Um, it's almost as if all your skill and drive, like it, it turns against itself and it starts making the thing you love, the thing you hate. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to remember is that like, I always do my best competing or whatever when I'm having fun. Like my best years have been when I've really enjoyed the sport. So like little things like having a fun training group around you, like, I don't know, listening to like fun music, just whatever you can do to kind of like enjoy what you're doing more is very important. Obviously there's those times where you need to like really like grind and like be super like mentally tough, but it's just like, enjoy it when you can. Well, that, that has been my experience getting to know a number of professional athletes and it's been helpful and sort of balancing for me as you, you're like, um, this person has a game that millions of people are going to be watching in five hours and they're having a totally normal lunch, you know, yeah. with, with a person right now about, you know, in my case, like about ancient philosophy that you need, if it's like, 
because you take it very seriously, if you, if, if that isn't balanced out or doesn't have other avenues, eventually it kind of turns toxic. And the, the, so it's like, if the people who are best in the world at what they do are able to, to have fun and have other hobbies or other interests, the idea that you can't do those things because you're too busy or important or whatever is just a lie you're telling yourself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that just comes back to like, I just like, you need some kind of like distraction and you don't need to be like sitting in your room right before you're about to compete or some big moment, just like thinking about it. Like you need to like rest your mind. And, um, and I just think that's kind of when balance comes into play. Yeah. And, and like, let's say, let's say that wasn't true. And that actually the way to get 1% better was to be completely joyless and obsessed and uh, like aggressive and like, would that be worth it? You know what I mean? Like, let's say you yeah. get it, but it also makes it functionally impossible for you to enjoy getting it. That doesn't sound like a good trade. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's a huge, that's a great point. Um, I think that like, like if I were to ever win the CrossFit games, but I was miserable doing it when I got to that point, it like, well, was that worth it? Like, probably not. Do I like enjoy, like, I think that a big part of like your accomplishments are looking back on the process that like got you there. So if you're not enjoying it and you're not having fun, then like you're doing something wrong and it's not going to be rewarding when you get to that point. Yeah. It's like you got into whatever the thing was because you enjoyed it. Right. And so, uh, if succeeding at it sucks the joy out of the thing, it might be externally recognized success, but I think we would all accept that there's something wrong with that if that's what winning is. Like when I watched the Michael Jordan documentary, I was like, I'm not sure it was that fun to be Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think happiness, like I, I would choose happiness over success for sure. It's just kind of like, um, like why would you do something if you got no joy out of it? When yeah. Well, and that, that there's like a very healthy middle ground, right? It's like, yeah. I don't know if I would choose, uh, uh, choose to fail miserably yeah. if that meant happiness or although miserable is a contradiction, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it's possible to be happy repeatedly failing at what you do and being like the worst at it, yeah. but it's like, so you meet, you meet people who are, it's, it's like you meet people who are champions or extremely successful at what they do. And you're like, oh, and they're having a good time. They might not be the most recognizable in the world at that thing, but maybe that's actually the point that they, that there's a line in um, one of Stephen Pressfield's books I love. Have you ever read his stuff? No, I haven't, but I you would love You would love uh, The War of Art, or he has this novel called Gates of Fire that's amazing. But in one of them, um, this philosopher is talking to Alexander the Great and uh uh, Alexander the Great says, you know, like, I have conquered the world. What have you ever done? And he says, I have conquered the need to conquer the world. <laughs> and, and that that's sort of in some ways the higher accomplishment to be able to go like, this is really important to me, but it's not everything to me. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, even just training with Tia, she's one of, or I've talked about her a lot. She's my training partner and she's won the games five times. And training with her, I thought like, this is going to be like brutally serious, like no joking. Like it's just going to be good. Like being in the room with Kobe Bryant and he's just like <laughs> berating you. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I thought it was going to be this super intense, like no fun kind of thing. And it was the complete opposite. Like we have so much fun during training and it's just kind of like, it's another sign that like, in order to be successful, you don't have to be miserable all the time. Like you can make these things fun. Is that maybe why she's had sustained success? You think like maybe being, maybe it being no fun is how you get there once, but it's not how you build a a career that you can continue. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's actually funny. She said that like her, after her fourth game or after her fourth win, she was probably going to call it like her last year, but then she continued like having fun. And now she's like doing another year and another year. And it's, um, yeah, it's just one of those things like in order to be successful, you're going to have to have some kind of passion doing what you're doing, or it's just like, it's not going to be worth it. And it's not going to be long term. So, so where, where are you trying to end up as we, as we wrap up the interview? Like what does like you looking back on a career that went well for you? What is that? What does that look like? How, how do you define like, I accomplished all that I wanted to accomplish or I, I, I did it right. Maybe not even accomplished because that, that, that is emphasizing specific external things for you to look back and go, I did it well, or it went well. What does that look like to you? Um, I never try to put like some kind of placement on like, I need to podium or I need to right. win the games. Like that's not what it's about to me. I just want to continue like getting better. And once I feel like I have reached my maximum potential, then that's when I want to like, be like, okay, I'm satisfied with what I did. I did the best that I could. I put every single thing that I had into the sport and like, I'm happy with that. And I also just want to continue like enjoying it. Like the minute that I'm not having fun doing what I'm doing is the minute that I'm not going to be doing it anymore. So. So I think often though, people use the external accomplishments as a proxy for whether I did everything I'm capable of doing. If it's not that, how do you know? Like, how do you know that you reached your potential? Um, I, I think that's kind of hard to like, it's hard to know when you've reached your potential, but I think that if I'm just like continuing to get better and better and better, and then maybe like, say I like start feeling myself. Well, I think it's just like doing everything that I can, like each year adding something in new, like in order to make myself better, just continuing to do that. First I said, I just want to get 10 years of the games and then I'll be done. But if I'm still having fun after 10 years, like I'm going to continue competing. It's just something that I love to do. I'm very passionate about it. When 10 years is just an arbitrary number, it's not based on anything. Right. So (laughs) I I totally agree. People sometimes ask me like, you know, is there a certain number of books you want to write or sell or whatever? And I almost feel like that's kind of artificially limiting because why, like, I don't think, I don't think it's a, I don't think a specific number means anything. It should be that you did all that you were capable of doing and then you stopped before it was harmful or something. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. Uh, Yeah. Like why 10, just because it's like a 10, you know? Um, So yeah, I just want to continue doing it as long as I am like enjoying it. And um, I think a big, another big thing is like, I just want to inspire others to like be their best self as cliche as that sounds like it's just, um, important to me to be a good inspiration to others. Well, I often hear like the numbers that people have, it's not even like arbitrary, like 10, cause it's a round number. It's like, right. cause they heard somebody else did nine. 
Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, so it's like inherently based on competition that they just pulled out of their ass. It's like they heard so-and-so sold a million or so-and-so yeah. did this. And that that's like, again, so limiting. You should be trying to do the most or the best that you are capable of doing, which yeah. might be higher than that, or it might be lower than that. But it should be that, not uh, just some benchmark that you pulled off of an article or a Wikipedia page or something. Right. I feel like everyone's just so competitive these days, like comparing yourself to other people. And that's something that like, I don't want to do. Um, right. I just do it as long as I want to do it. Not as long as someone else has. Well, I hope you get to do it as long as you want to do it. And uh, <laughs> no, nothing else gets to decide whether you keep doing it. That to go back to our conversation about yeah, that injuries, that that's always the thing hovering above all of it, as the Stoics say, which is that, you know, sort of fate behaves as she pleases and uh, sometimes uh, doesn't really care about what we want. Yeah. <laughs> well, lovely. This was so fun. I'm really glad we got to talk. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Go awesome. play with your dog. Okay, I will. It's great to meet you. All right. I'll see you later. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Daily Stoic Podcast. Just a reminder, we've got signed copies of all my books in the Daily Stoic store. You can get them personalized. You can get them sent to a friend. Whatever you want, we'd love for you to have a copy. I know I love signed copies of some of my favorite books. If you love a signed copy of The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, Stillness is the Key, the leather-bound edition of The Daily Stoic, we have them all in The Daily Stoic store, which you can check out at store.dailystoic.com. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to The Daily Stoic early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. From Wondery, this is Black History For Real. I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Conscious Lee. What do most (laughs) people think about when they hear the words Black History? Rosa Parks, Reconstruction, MLK, February, Black History Exactly, exactly. There are so many stories of Black History that we just are not really talking about or thinking about, especially outside of February. And we are about to flip the script on all of that. Because on this show, you're going to hear a little less... In August 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And a little bit more. She is a heroine to some. As a fighter for black rights, she is a villain to others. Follow Black History for Real on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen everywhere on February 5th, or you can listen early and ad-free on Wondery Plus starting January 29th. Join Wondery Plus on the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer, but he was bored. German pop was formulaic, dull, and oh so white. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing, but Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's biggest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip syncing, 
their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Barian and Ingrid Segui, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus.